Welcome to Southern Appalachian Wild. I'm your host, Judy Doolin, and I'm hoping that you are still hanging around. Uh, yes, uh, I was hoping that the uh, COVID problem would be uh, a little further away from us at this point, but no, it hasn't gone away. It looks like we might deal with it just a little bit longer, but it's October. And what that means is that it's fall. I love fall. I love the cooler temperatures. I love the fog. I love the sound of falling leaves. I love fall wildflowers. I love the sound of insects at night. And, and like I said, the coolness and the dampness in the air. And so I thought about what topic am I going to do for this episode and realized that, gosh, it's October 20th. I got to do something about boogers and haints. That's what we call ghosts here in Southern Appalachia. We say boogers and haints. Uh, if you have heard old timey stories, you would have heard stories that used those kind of words. Um, but first, I want to give you a little lesson on your own storytelling because I've, I've done a lot of storytelling over the years as, as a park ranger around campfires. And there, there are some real uh, keys to doing it properly. First of all, you want to select the story that is appropriate for your audience. You know, you don't want to be telling a story that's got a bunch of gore in it if you've got, you know, a bunch of kids in your audience. Um, and usually those kinds of the kind of storytelling I did was with, you know, families around a campfire. So I had to be very careful in, in my selection. The atmosphere is important, too. Uh, campfire is great. But if you don't have a campfire... You know, if you're telling a story inside, maybe you want, you know, turn off the lights and use some candle lights. Um, you know, just give yourself a good uh, environment, a good silent environment to tell your story. Always be comfortable with the material you're using, too. Don't try to tell a story that you haven't read about 20 times. Because you can, if you've read it 20 times, then you can do a lot of elaboration if you need to. Um, find an exciting opening, opening for any story. That's, you know, as a school teacher, that's what I have to do with lessons. You have to, you have to start out with something that grabs their attention. And Next, number five would be use your voice and your physical gestures to to make the story more exciting. I do that a lot in teaching. Of course, in a podcast, you can't see me, but I try to use my voice to to change things, go up and down, high and low, different inflections. Um Timing is important, too. There, there are good spots to kind of hesitate, leave a few seconds in there, give the, the, the listener time uh, to absorb what you've just said. 
and you've got to create, you've got to create uh, a great description of your setting and your characters. You're, remember, you remember all your audience is getting is the description you give them. So it's got to be very vivid to make your story good. Give a very good, vivid uh, description. Um, don't draw out a story's conclusion if it doesn't need it. A lot of I've heard a lot of people telling stories and they just keep keep going and uh, at the end of the story and it and therefore the 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 ending gets ruined in the story when the story needs to end and last but not least relax enjoy the experience telling a good story can be one of the most rewarding experiences you will ever have enjoy it enjoy it with your audience Pretend like you're talking to a friend and enjoy yourself. That's my key to telling a good story. I'm going to start out with not telling a story, but telling you about an experience. Uh, if we want to talk about boogers and haints, I had a, an Uncle Cotton. And Uncle Cotton was bald. I guess that's where the cotton part came in. And Uncle Cotton loved nothing more than to scare my sister and I. And we would go out uh, with, with Aunt Nell and Uncle Cotton and stay in a cabin on the lake. And Uncle Cotton always talked about rawhead and bloody bones. He said rawhead and bloody bones was out there. That was a monster. And of course, after we went to bed, he would always sneak around to the side of the bedroom and, and kind of scratch on the screens of the window. And we were absolutely terrified. And he carried that over to while we were staying with them at their house. We, my sister and I could not go downstairs without worrying about raw head and bloody bones as if that monster was only affiliated with him and could only affect uh, us while we were with them. Um, but most cultures have stories like that. And those stories are usually developed in order to keep kids from doing something that's unsafe. And so they were probably um, worried about us going outside. But needless to say, it was like 40 years later, and I'm checking out at Kroger. And I look up and I see the title of a book. And the book is Raw Head and Bloody Bones. So this was not a story that he just made up or an, uh, a monster that he just made up. It was a real, um, it was a, a real piece of folklore from uh, African-American origin. And so I eventually bought the book. I actually bought it at a book book sale that um, was getting rid of it in a library. And so it's it's an old discarded copy and I've read it and it's difficult to read because it was written so very long ago. Um, but it, it, I love to find those things. I have a whole library of discarded folklore, 
stories, tales, and things like that, because I hope to, to do a whole lot more of that in my retirement. But let's just take a small break. start with one of my favorite stories. I've told this story many times, but I'm going to actually do it in Southern Appalachian um, uh, vernacular. So listen closely, and if you don't understand, you will in a little while, because the context will be clear. <clears throat> One time there was an old man named Dry Fry. He was a preacher man, but all he preached for was revival collections and all the fried chicken he could eat. And one time he stayed for supper and he was eating fried chicken so fast, he got a chicken bone stuck in his throat, choked him to death. Well, the man of the house, he was scared. Law me, he said, they'll find old Dry Fry here and they'll hang me for murder for sure. So they took old Dry Fry to the house down the road a piece and propped him up against the door. Somebody went to go out that door directly. Old Dry Fry fell into the house. Law me, said the man of the house, it's old Dry Fry. Everybody knew old Dry Fry. We got to get shed at him quick, or we're liable to be hung for murder. So he took old Dry Fry and propped him up in the brush right beside the road. And way up in the night, some men come along, thought, thought it was a highway robber laying out for them. So they chunked rocks at him, knocked him down. And when they seen who it was, everybody knew old Dry Fry. They thought they'd killed him. And they got scared that they'd be hung for murder. So they passed several people on the road who would know who they were all night. Well, they took old Dry Fry and they propped him up against the man's cornhouse. And that man, he went out early the next morning and he'd been a missing some corn. So when he seen there was somebody at his cornhouse, he ran and got his gun. Slipped out around and hollered, you all get away from there or I'll shoot. And when old Dry Fry never moved, he shot, and Dry Fry tumbled over and hit the ground. Law me, said the man. I believe that was old Dry Fry. Everybody knew old Dry Fry. Now I done killed him, and I'm going to be hung for murder. So he went and saw it was him, and he, he seen how dead he was and went to studying up some way to get shed at him. Well, he throwed him in the corn house to hide him. And that night he took old Dry Fry down by the baptism place, right beside the river bend, where they'd been fixing to have a big baptism the next day. Propped him up on a stump on the river bank, right over, right over a good deep place where the bank was pretty high. Propped his elbows up on his knees and his chin in his hand. Made him look awful natural left him there, went home, and slept sound. So early the next morning, before anybody else came along, this little old feisty boy came down there fooling around around the baptismal place, saw old Dry Fry, 
hollered, Howdy there, Mr. Fry. Went over closer. Howdy, Mr. Fry. Old Dry Fry just sat there. I said, Howdy, Dry Fry. Old Dry Fry just a kept a sitting there. That boy, now he was just as fast as he could be. He didn't care how, how he spoke to nobody. Now look here, old Dry Fry. If you don't answer me, Howdy, I'm going to knock your elbows out from underneath you. Howdy, Mr. Fry. So the feisty boy reached out over and swept old dry fry a lick. And over in the river, the old dry fry went right down the bank and into the deep water, sucked clear out of sight. Then that boy thought, sure enough, he drowned old dry fry. He got scared about being hung for murder, but he couldn't do nothing about it. Oh, no, because folks would, folks would be coming soon down there for the baptism. So he hung around directly, and everybody gathered for the baptism, and they waited and waited for old Dry Fry to come and preach, but he didn't come, and he didn't come, and he didn't come. When they got to asking who'd seen old Dry Fry, one man said, well, he left my place right after supper, and the other one said, why, no, he's not seen old Dry Fry since last meeting time. And that feisty boy, he said, well, he just let out a little giggle when he was a sitting here on the benches in the back and the little and the other boys could could they just ask him he was laughing at, but he didn't get tickled again and and not telling anything. So finally, the folks sung a few hymns and took up a collection. So meeting broke and everybody went home and that boy, he went on home, too. Then way long, late up in the night, he went down and hooked old Dry Fry out of the river and pulled him up and put him in a sack, got him on the shoulder, under it, and started down the road to hide him somewhere. Well, there was a couple of rogues coming along that same night, had stole a couple of hogs and put them in sacks, carrying them up on their shoulders. Them rogues, they came over a little rise in the road and they saw the boy and they got scared dropped their sacks and run back lickety split and hid in the brush the boy he never saw the two rogues so he came upon them two sacks and set old dry fry down to see what was in the sacks then he left old dry fry laying there picked up one of the hogs and went back home so the two rogues they slipped out directly and when they saw the two sacks still laying there, they picked them up and kept going. Got in home and hung the sacks up in the meat house. Then the next morning, the old woman got up to cook breakfast, went out to the smokehouse to cut off some meat, ripped open one of them sacks, and there hung old dry fry. Everybody knows old dry fry. Well, she hollered and dropped her butcher knife, and she got away from there in such a hurry, she tore down one side of the smokehouse, broke out two posts on the back porch, and knocked the, the kitchen door clean off its hinges. She was sort of scared. She hollered and squalled, and the men came running in their tur shirt tails, and finally looked out in the smokehouse, saw old dry fry hanging up there in the place of a hog. Law me, said one of them, hits old dry fry. Everybody knew old dry fry. 
well, sure, he hunt, we'll be hung for murder for sure if we don't get shed of him in some way. Well, they had some wild horses in the wilderness out there on the mountain, so they rounded up one of them. They got him in the barn. Then they put on an old Noah Kent saddle on him and an old piece of bridle and put old dry fry right there on his back strapped his legs to the belly band, tied his hands to the saddle horn, and pulled the reins through. Stuck his old hat on his head, and then they slipped out and opened the gate, opened the barn door, and let the horse go. He shot out of there, and down the road he went with that old preacher man just a-bouncing from side to side. And then them rogues ran out and went to shooting and hollering, and he said, Oh, he stole our horse. Stop him. Somebody stop him yonder. Horse thief. Horse thief. Everybody down the road came running out of their houses, a shouting and a hollered and a shooting. But that horse, he'd done jumped the fence and took up the mountain. And it looked like he was headed for Kentucky. As far as I know, old Dry Fry is over there, a tearing around through the wilderness on that wild horse. Still, you know, many people have disappeared, in particular in the Smoky Mountains. Most of those people, it's almost just like they have vanished into thin air. They'll bring out people and people will hunt for them and they'll bring in dogs and but it's just like some of these people have disappeared, vanished, and they don't know what's happened to them. I had a friend one time who went for a hike. He was up around Newfound Gap, and he was hiking up a, a pretty popular trail, and you know, those trails are steep. And the park rangers always tell you, don't, don't go off the trails. Don't get off the trail. You might get confused and you won't be able to find your way back. And of course, that's the speculation for some of those disappearances. Somebody got confused and didn't find their way back and maybe, you know, died way back in the woods where, where people couldn't get to. But this friend of mine, he was hiking on that trail and a short distance away, he could see a, a blooming wildflower, a coneflower that he hadn't seen in a while. So he just decided that he would just go over there. He could see the trail from where the wildflower was. So there shouldn't be any problem. So he did. He walked over to the wildflower and enjoyed it for a few minutes. And, but then he turned around and he could see this little manway, we call it, or animal trail. You know, those little trails that deer make sometimes whenever they're foraging or moving back and forth. Or sometimes critters make them. But in the Smokies, usually it's people that make those trails. And that's why they call them manways. They're not real trails that the park wants you to use, but people do it anyway. 
So he thought, well, you know, if this is some place where animals have gone or people have gone, maybe it's something I want to see. Maybe there's something special back here. So he walked for a while on this manway, 15, 20, 30 minutes, but it just kept getting darker and darker, you know, up in the higher elevations in the fall with all those spruce and fir trees, it's just dark in the woods, very dark. And you can hear every single noise, every crack of the woods, every little every little wind blow that knocks down a stem or a leaf, you can hear it so well. But he follows this thing along and all of a sudden he comes into a clearing. A clearing. The trees were missing from this space. It wasn't the only thing missing from the space. There was no sound. It was totally silent totally silent and he stood there for a while and he he said to himself he said it sound it, it feels like it feels like somebody's watching me somebody's somebody else is here maybe another thing he mentioned was that all of a sudden he felt really sleepy it was kind of like he was almost nodding off. After a while, he didn't know how long, he, he was kind of jerked back into consciousness by the noise from, from a blue jay that had come into the, this opening, and it was making a lot of noise. It was as if this blue jay was trying to say, you need to, you need to get out of here. So he turns around, he follows this manway back to his coneflower, and then back, then back to the real trail. He looks at his watch and he realizes that he has been gone for three hours. He felt like he had only been gone for 30 minutes. Had he kind of dozed off or went into a trance or something when he was in this clearing? He didn't know, didn't know. But the one thing he did know was that possibly this is what might have happened to some of those people who disappeared. Maybe they did heed the calling to fall asleep and never woke back up. And whoever was in that clearing or whatever was in that clearing that was watching him took them away. You know, many people have disappeared, in particular in the Smoky Mountains. Most of those people it's almost just like they have vanished into thin air. They'll bring out people and people will hunt for them and they'll bring in dogs. And, but it's just like some of these people have disappeared, vanished, and they don't know what's happened to them. I had a friend one time who went for a hike 
it was up around Newfound Gap and he was hiking up a, a pretty popular trail and you know those trails are steep and the park rangers always tell you don't don't go off the trails don't get off the trail you might get confused and you won't be able to find your way back and of course that's the speculation for some of those disappearances somebody got confused and didn't find their way back and maybe you know died way back in the woods where where people couldn't get to but this friend of mine he was hiking on that trail and a short distance away he could see a, a blooming wildflower a coneflower that he hadn't seen in a while so he just decided that he would just go over there he could see the trail from where the wildflower was so there shouldn't be any problem so he did he walked over to the wildflower and enjoyed it for a few minutes and but then he turned around and he could see this little man way we call it or animal trail you know those little trails that deer make sometimes whenever they're foraging or moving back and forth sometimes critters make them but in the smokies usually it's people that make those trails and that's why they call them manways they're not real trails that the park wants you to use but people do it anyway so he thought well you know if, if this is some place where animals have gone or people have gone maybe it's something i want to see maybe there's something special back here so he walked for a while on this manway 15 20 30 minutes but it just kept getting darker and darker you know up in the higher elevations in the fall with all those spruce and fir trees it's just dark in the woods very dark and you can hear every single noise every crack of the woods every little every little wind blow that knocks down a stem or a leaf you can hear it so well but he follows this thing along and all of a sudden he comes into a clearing a clearing the trees were missing from this space wasn't the only thing missing from the space there was no sound it was totally silent totally silent and he stood there for a while and he he said to himself he said it sound it, it feels like it feels like somebody's watching me somebody's somebody else is here maybe another thing he mentioned was that all of a sudden he felt really sleepy it was kind of like he was almost nodding off after a while he didn't know how long he he was kind of jerked back into consciousness by the noise from from a blue jay that had come into the this opening and it was making a lot of noises it was as if this blue jay was trying to say you need to you need to get out of here so he turns around he follows this man way back to his coneflower and then back then back to 
the real trail. He looks at his watch and he realizes that he has been gone for three hours. He felt like he had only been gone for 30 minutes. Had he kind of dozed off or went into a trance or something when he was in this clearing? He didn't know, didn't know. But the one thing he did know was that possibly this is what might have happened to some of those people who disappeared. Maybe they did heed the calling to fall asleep and never woke back up. And whoever was in that clearing or whatever was in that clearing that was watching him took them away. This has been Southern Appalachian Wild with your host Judy Doolin for a little bit of folklore. I hope you have enjoyed the stories and uh, just want to remind you that uh, I have gone back to work full time and it is very difficult for me to get everything done in relation to this podcast. So if you're out there listening and you're interested in learning about podcasting and you're interested in building Southern Appalachian Wild, I need people who are good researchers, people who could possibly host whenever I'm not available, someone who can help me build a better website, someone who's great with music, I could use a lot of help with this, as you can tell. I'm not a professional podcaster, but I am interested in keeping the podcast going. I've already paid the fees I need to, so if you want to join me, give me uh, give me a call or send me an email at j n c l i n t o n three two nine zero at gmail.com and I would be happy to have you until next time until the next 20th which will be the 20th of November get out into the woods <laughs>